I'm Sophia and this is my place where art and grief meet. We were talking what it's all about How this step led to that Well, happy days, dear listener. We've made it to episode number two. And that means we're out of the gate and on a roll. My special guest today is someone I didn't know prior to undertaking this project, but it seems as though Where Art and Grief Meet may have been designed with her in mind. Even though it was designed with me in mind, it's making me realise how broad the scope of this project and its relevance is. After hearing about the project, she sent me a message and in it, amongst other things, she said, I have lost my special person and both my dogs. Someone had randomly messaged me that my art seems pretty darn colourful for someone who's grieving. I said I'm allowed to grieve in colour if I want to. A person who grieves in colour is a person I want to talk to. So I had a look at her Instagram feed and was completely bewitched by what I saw there. And there was nothing else for it but to make a time for us to chat. My guest is a California-based artist who has just relocated there after a stint in New York. She works in mixed media and her art is full of her and where she's at and what she's going through. And even though it's not what you might expect, it is absolutely authentic and real and beautiful. It just felt right for Sharon and I to connect at this moment in time. So I'm so grateful for this project and that I can share it with you. So without any further ado, here is my chat with Sharon Nulsey Nullmeyer. Sometimes it's it's not the easiest thing to, for people to talk about, although I have no filter, so it's not that hard for me, but I do understand that, you know, sometimes the territory can get bumpy and it's, it's difficult. But since you described yourself as being a person who is sort of compulsively making to work through some stuff, I thought, well, let's let's do it then. I've been free and easy about what I've been going through, especially on Instagram, Mm -hmm. just because I guess it's, I have been like that before everything was happening. And Mm -hmm. then um, I felt comfortable. So many of the people on Instagram now I think are my friends, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or even just, I have like people I've taken classes with or whatever. It just seems like such a, um, the art part seems very nurturing and um, it's really helped me. And so even even when he was, was dying, now I start crying. But um, I shared that. I shared all of it. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. And I got, um, I mean, I have plenty of uh, real, you know, not that those aren't real people, but I have plenty of real people in my life. And uh, for some reason, sometimes it was much easier mm. to uh, share with strangers or to share with my art. So I do feel like um, what you're studying is kind of me I mean really hit me I'm like wow um I think that there's an idea that having grief or adversity or loss actually stifles the creative spirit Mm -hmm. and I'm discovering with the people who self-identify I guess as artists and whatever that means it's part of your expression and it actually allows an avenue where I don't know if it's because of the people we're communicating with or it's just the means, but it's a way of uh, li- living authentically and mm. making no apologies for all the bits, right. even though the bits can be really messy. Yeah. And no. that's what I found because, like, I have, I started on Instagram with an account for my two dogs. So right. I lived with <laughs> behind that for a really long time. And then when I started doing the ceramics when my father was dying, and it was really hard because he was in the house and 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 I was looking after him all the time and it was it was a such an intense period but I felt that I really felt quite compelled to share whatever I was making and I didn't think that it was about them being good or trying to show off or anything like that it was just about communicating something and tracking a process and the people who have been watching and commenting and supporting and connecting with me through that 
um, have made such a big difference. Yeah. But yeah, it's so I understand what you're talking about. So our first point of connection is a love and appreciation for the greater art community you can access through Instagram, which is something you curate, but is incredibly worthwhile. And then we went back to the beginning so I could understand Sharon's story fully. Um, my best friend, boyfriend, um, who I was living with, uh, I always wanted to paint. Mm-hmm. And we met and I lived in California and he lived in New York. So we did a long distance relationship for a while and ended up moving there. Um, and I'd always had a full time job and mm-hmm. I was a single mom and my daughter was grown up. So I, you know, I was able to move and he was like, you don't have to work. We're good. And I always wanted to go to art school. I ended up having to drop out of college when my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. And so he went through several illnesses and we had many years when he wasn't ill, but pretty quick into it. Um, I was in New York and it was snowing and he had just gotten home from the hospital. And, uh, I just remember that moment. And I've told her, I, I took a Marianne Moss dispatch from LA class and it was like a basic watercolor class. Mm-hmm. It's called sketchbookery. Mm-hmm. And Um, I just dived in and I was the worst. I was the absolute worst. And I shared everything. (laughs) Oh, good for you. Yeah. Like it was so bad. My daughter would even call me and be like, what are you thinking? (laughs) And maybe you should edit yourself because, you know, I love you, but this sucks. So I I really was um, mostly watercolor for a long time. And I thought, I thought I was sketching and those were really awful too, but it got me through the winter and a snow. I mean, I had never done snow. I felt all alone. And I remember like, um, at one point he was like sick in bed, sick. He had had a hip replacement. It didn't heal well. And like, you know, he would be sleeping and I would be able to go out to my computer. And that's how I started. Like Mm -hmm. basically talking to strangers. I loved Marianne and I know I'm like embarrassed myself because I've told her my whole story. And now, you know, I don't know what she would say, but I think (laughs) we're friends because I swear she saved my life. So then it started. And then over the years, you know, he had other crises and he wasn't always sick, but I always took my sketchbook. Mm. And at one point, um, my favorite sketchbook was called the very big sketchbook. Mm -hmm. And it was like, and it weighed like 3000 pounds and I would still carry it everywhere. (laughs) And I just remember like, um, and even until, you know, he died getting close to a year ago and um he was in the ICU a lot and stuff and just being able to like get out my sketchbook and if I wanted to ignore people I could if I wasn't painting that's fine and it just it just became my solace and it kind Mm. of is like I'll still throw a sketchbook you know in my purse like it's just like my like lucky charm or something Mm. so um started with watercolor um I like to use gouache I I use everything I Mm -hmm. mean I you know it's mostly painting some drawing I like to collage and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. um other things I I'm not really good at I'd like to be able to sew and embroider and stuff like that but I have ham hands so I'm not that yeah I I used to uh sew embroider knit crochet that was my thing because I was not friends with a paintbrush so I just felt like I couldn't control a a paintbrush it never did what I wanted and I was just over trying so I used to do all the other sort of crafty um, expressions but um, I sustained a spinal injury uh, that affects my uh, from my neck down and I nearly lost the use of my left arm completely. But I can't, even though now like I have like issues with chronic pain and stuff like that, I can't sustain that repetitive action that those sorts of crafts require. So I've right. had to just like, I just can't. And I've got a room full of materials, which I can't get rid of in case I find a way of just doing a tiny bit and incorporating it into something. But I just, I can't let go. It's like, 
I don't know, it would be acknowledging something that I'm not prepared to acknowledge to actually, uh-huh. you know, free up that space. But yeah. I understand. I want to acknowledge here how freeing it is to go outside your usual patterns and habits by using materials that you don't usually use. But it's undeniable that for Sharon, the sketchbook and the paintbrush have been invaluable companions and great comfort during a time of adversity. And they also have reflected a change in her, a change that has been required by the difficult circumstances she's found herself in. I think I got bolder and bolder as this happened, as this went on, and I got more sure of myself as far as being able to speak to professionals and be his advocate and all those kind of things. But sometimes in the downtime when I was alone or waiting in an office or at the hospital, because most of it was during COVID. So a lot of times I was the only person that was even allowed in. Oh gosh. You know, like or the waiting room, just sitting in the waiting room and you know, um, I would draw like people across the room or mm-hmm. whatever. And then people either people approach you and it's kind of nice, or else people are like, What is she doing? and leave you alone. I don't know. I just kind of just kind of like it. I don't know why it's it's a comfort. And now like um, so I'm I've moved cross country, you know, packed all of our stuff, got rid of a ton of stuff, you know, moved out of our home and all that stuff. And um, I'm redoing, I'm finishing a lot of paintings that I was um, trying to work on, like when I would come home from the hospital and even after he passed away, because it it took quite a few months to to, uh, sort everything and pack and um, Mm -hmm. do all that. We had a business, an antique business, and um, it was just hard. I'm possibly stating the bleeding obvious here, but Sharon is alternating between tears and laughing as she tells us her narrative and my heart is going out to her. So I I was my last thing to completely pack and I had my car towed like cross country too. So my car was full of paint, paints and art supplies. So I had a lot of unfinished paintings and, and I'm trying to finish them right now. <laughs> And it's it's good but difficult, and they are crazy. Like it's like I can't throw enough into them right now. Yeah. So, well, but what's really interesting is when you look at your artwork, it's so vibrant and full, and there's so much movement and life in what you're creating. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't necessarily look at it and think that this is an expression of real grief, and the fact. Right of you being in the first year since you're bereaved is it's extraordinary because I know that like, you know, every, every single day is the first since and everything can take on that kind of significance. And it's that necessarily is challenging. And it's part of what we have to get through when we're, when we're going through bereavement. I strongly believe, and I think I've said this before that it doesn't actually end. You just find a way of coexisting right. with that experience and with yeah. that feeling. But t- to look at the work that you're creating, it is, it's just, <laughs> there's so much life in it. It's, it's magnificent and, and joyous. And it's obviously reflecting something that's in you, although maybe the machine that's driving it is not the picture that you're producing. And I, I'm being clumsy with my words. I was but. really joyous with him. Mm. So he was my best friend and he's the one that actually got me to paint and he's the one yeah. that pushed me and said, like, you can do this. Like, you're getting good or whatever. Keep going, keep going. So yeah, I don't, I, I just think it's what's inside right now. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm really blessed that I met him and that we had our time together. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not always joyous. It's like, you know, there's certain there was one that I did really quickly after he passed away that was just a chair in a field. So, mm. but a lot of times this is what comes out. And this is yeah. like just a lot of patterns and colors and stuff. And it, it just seems to, all the crazy seems to sort my mind out or something. Mm-hmm. Like it clears my mind. Yeah. The fact that you're able to still access those feelings of the remembering and the the enthusiasm and the life that that is now past, 
Right. That you, you, you're work, like you're working with it now. You're having a different relationship with him now. You're having a different relationship with life now. But it's, look, I don't think that everybody always has to create everything that's, you know, full of colour or that you just need to be real about where you're at in your life. And yeah. if that happens to come out in your artwork, which I think absolutely authentically does, in what I've seen of your artwork, I think that people really connect with that. And that's part of the strength of what's going on in this, this kind of movement. It seems to be getting bolder. That's kind of the joke as um, it was with a couple agents that are long gone and they were like, your, you know, your work is not um, what the public would want to see. So they they give me all sorts of, you know, here here's what they're buying right now at Home Goods or whatever. And I was super excited at first. This was years ago. And some of my stuff ended up like at Home Goods or Bed Bath and Beyond or like a binder at Walmart or whatever. Yeah. But it was totally not me. And it was like, could you please draw? And I would have all these things all over the house. Like they're looking for things for a man cave. They're looking for like deer antlers with flowers on them. And it was like, ew, I don't know that stuff. So I finally stopped and this is what I want to draw. And now I'm lucky enough because I'm getting jobs where they're like, we just went full nosy. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of the joke is like, you know, I there's not a spot left. Like I'm sure at a certain point an art director is going to be like, okay, I like full nosy because you leave a little <laughs> plain background. But right now this is, this is just what's happening. And I don't really... I I sometimes write and I like to write poems and stuff like that. Sometimes I just haven't felt like it. Mm. So I kind of feel just like everything I put on there, like I I know what it means. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, you know. Well, just between you and me, I have to say that I couldn't be more pleased that Sharon has abandoned dreams of creating material for Walmart binders and man caves. The full Nulsey is wild and chaotic and full of life. And and even if the message in it isn't explicit, even if there is no message in it, the fact that it is an authentic representation of where she is and who she is at this moment in time gives it a unique quality and value that no one else has to offer, just like her story. You see, when you talk about your experience and someone else hears it, even if it's me Mm. and whoever else might hear, the way people connect to unfiltered and and, an honest conversation is um, it's you realise how there's a poverty in the society that you can't just talk about it with the person who's sitting next to you and not that you need to open yourself up to the person who's sitting next to you, but it's just to have forums where people can connect through art and then you realise, oh, my gosh, we have this in common. Oh, my gosh, we have that. We've both been through this other thing. Yeah. It, it just it validates you. Like it makes you yes. your experience and your life feel much more grounded and I think there's a lack of that sometimes. And Several <laughs> like artsy widows have contacted me mm. and have become like just ama- amazing friends because mm. they do get it. Like, you know, my family, we've lost, I lost my dad. We've lost others in our family and stuff. Um, but it, it's hard for anyone to really understand. And I always think that like, um, I don't know. I think that something with our society and I've read, I, I haven't really read them. I bought about 300 Greek books and I, <laughs> I don't think I've read any of them completely. So um, I think people just want, like at a certain point, they're like, okay, enough. You know what I mean? And I'm not walking around crying all the time, but like, it's not enough for me yet. And, you know, like you said, it's still all the first. And if I open my Facebook page, it's going to show me memories every day right now. So, and they're good memories, but you know, I, I don't know. I guess that's why the art's so good because I can just like sit there and just put it all out. Mm-hmm. And Somebody you know. said to me the other day, you can block them, you know, you can filter your memories. And I'm just like, it, I don't, the act of doing that for me, like the act of yeah. blocking that saying, I don't want the memories that relate to X or what I, I couldn't, like that would be such a, 
No, I don't know. I couldn't do it. It would sit so uncomfortably with me. It's like it would be like turning my back on my life. And then I want to like speak and look at what memories I was missing, anyways. (laughs) Because sometimes they hurt and sometimes they make me laugh. But that's one. That's the one reason I think I haven't left Facebook yet. Is just Mm. because. I'll be like, oh my God, you know, whatever. Look at what we did that day. I posted yeah. a memory like yesterday. So yeah, the memories are good and bad. Yeah. Well, and a memory one day in a certain context might have a elicit one response and then the same memory in a different day will elicit a completely different response. And depending on how your day is going well, and stuff. Exactly. And and it's yeah. all valid, you know, it's all real. Right. It's it's all <laughs> It's all what it is, you know. 15 minutes of conversation. For me, it feels like 15 years of friendship. Such is the closeness I feel towards this woman who has been so generous sharing her story and vulnerable too. Anyway, we both take a breath at this moment and then I switch gears completely. When I go to galleries or museums or whatever, everything is always viewed through the prism of would I put that in my house? So I'm right. wondering what is your, <laughs> what is your um, how, how do you view the artistic world? Like what are your, how do you assess what you're looking at and what you're inspired by and that sort of stuff? I'm inspired by so much. That's like an impossible question because um, like, I guess also selling antiques, Mm -hmm. um, you know, collect like old vintage floral paintings, living in New York, you know, I was able to, when I first moved there, my boyfriend was still working in the financial district area. And so um, he would just drop me off like a doofus and say like, don't talk to the taxi driver. (laughs) And I would go to like, you know, all the museums like for all day. And then, you know, he would pick me up and you know, I, I could not look at anything about like that. That's what I would want in my house. It's more just like, I don't feel like that. I mean, I have a million contemporary artists that I could name off that inspire me, but like when you go to like a museum, you're just like, Oh my God. You you know, I saw Monet's water lilies and it was like, just, you know, huge. It's amazing. It is. But, um, yeah, I'm really inspired by all sorts of stuff. I've noticed that, especially um, since I guess I got into it and then meeting other artists and then being exposed to it more on Instagram and stuff and learning about other artists. Like, I like all sorts. So I like like more commercial artists. Like, I, I was lucky enough to meet a really cool artist, Josh Gosfield, who does, like, covers of the New Yorker and the Atlantic. And I'm like, Oh, oh, only I could draw like that. Or I love all these artists that do almost all their work digitally, Mm -hmm. like an Ann Bentley. So like, I would, I mean, my, if I put everything on the wall that I admired or liked, or like, I was like, yeah, I, it would probably just be like a psychotic, crazy house. So, (laughs) which our house kind of was. (laughs) Yeah. And I took pictures of it as I was moving just to remember it because we had all sorts of collections and weird things, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm a fan of all sorts of art, I guess. Are you inspired by things that aren't art? Yes. So what's the stuff? I could write a list like that would go on forever. I've actually done that. Yeah. Of just oh. like, um, and that list is a piece of art. Like <laughs> I've done, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, the, actually the inspiration, the source of inspiration, that is not a problem. The problem is like squeezing it all in and figuring mm-hmm. out what I want to do most. Yeah. And do you have multiple projects? I know you've got some unfinished oh. work, so you've got multiple projects underway. Yeah, like a thousand, and that's how I work, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I have about three thousand sketchbooks for all different oh reasons. Gosh. So, yeah. Oh, your brain must be a wonderland to have all that going on in there at the same time. <laughs> but sometimes it's, I don't know, like people will say, like, how do you start? What do you, you know, sometimes I'll sketch things out, and other times, like, it just Pepper. is there. Yeah. I damn got art school. No. 
I never had this idea of you needed to have a formal education to be valid. You know, it was like if you teach yourself and you're engaged in what you're learning, it doesn't matter what it is, and you know enough to ask the right people so that you can, you know, if you get stuck, you can move in whatever direction you need to. I just, I think it's all, like, I don't, I think it's all good. But but I, you know, I take, I sure take a lot of classes now. Just as an aside here, I think the classes we're talking about is like narrow casting. You're actually fishing in a very small pond for particular information and a community around that information comes as an extra added bonus. It's not the same as doing a full curriculum course. <laughs> so what what are you doing now? What am I doing right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm in a group that, um, I think it's about eight of us and we're working on our our forward moving goals, which that's really cool for me because I've grown up. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a while. Um, yeah. And so we're all, um, we're accountable to each other. We have a leader, kind of my mentor and, Mm -hmm. um, just kind of helping me sort things out. Um, and I'm working on all sorts of stuff, working on a greeting card collection, just did like a note card for a a seed company or whatever. I got a lot of stuff in the wings, like another puzzle and stuff like that. And then, um, I just ordered like 24 canvases to (laughs) just, just for fun. So I could sell and paint those, but, um, I'm working on, uh, starting to pitch myself to um some online galleries and I have now I kind of have a real list of goals and for a little while when I was in the moving process actually I did a bunch of jobs right before I moved like a part of an album like a a part of an album cover or whatever I'm the inside part of the album and um did a puzzle did a bunch of stuff and then kind of just put a kibosh and you know, I couldn't really work while I was in transition. So yeah. um kind of kind of jumping back in now slowly. One of the things that I'm going to dedicate <clears throat> one of the months to, I can't remember which one it is, um, of this project is the soundtrack of my life. And I decided that I wanted to repaint or reimagine my favorite album covers. So I'm going to try, I was, the aim was to oh, do one a, a really day, but cool. I think that's too many. Yeah, but I thought it'd be really cool. So and I want to steal that idea. Steal and it. you should do a playlist. For I am my, doing, I'm um, doing a Spotify a... playlist. I am. I'm doing it oh, of, good. Of, the, of what I'm listening to each month. You should be able to find where art and grief meet, um, Spotify okay. playlist, and there should be one there, and I'm building it every day with new tracks and stuff like that say that like since I've been going through so like you know when you have heartbreak or you fall in love or whatever and all I don't know when you were young and every song you're like oh my god (laughs) like my song that's exactly and I find myself doing that now or at first even um trying to find I really like music trying to find music to listen to at first was like Oh, we listened to that together. Oh, that's all about a couple. That's about love. And I don't have that right now. Or, Mm. you know, that makes me sad. And now I'm starting to, you know, certain songs, even stupid. Like I said, like my daughter will be like, what? You're you're putting Harry Styles on your, you know, (laughs) Taylor Swift is speaking to your heart. But (laughs) yeah, I'm, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. Excellent. I'm a late bloomer. No, oh, well, you know, I think it's adorable. There's no boundaries. Why should we have boundaries? I, I've got a Kermit <laughs> the Frog, so I'm gonna put I'm gonna put that rainbow oh, song by Kermit the Frog. I, why is there so it. many songs about rainbows? About rainbows. I, I, I love, love that. Me too. So you know, that's going on the playlist. You made me remember that. So I just don't think that there needs to be any um any boundaries and it's particularly like for me this month because it's about my brother my brother used to give me things like we're very joined by a crazy love of the Beatles and he went and 
source for me, the Beatles Barkers, which is dogs barking Beatles songs. (laughs) 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 And just all these little really crazy things. I just think it's beautiful. Uh, and I see I can my person's favorite band too. Oh, really? Yes. A fine um, individual. (laughs) I bought um (laughs) he was a fine individual because of that. He was um like 10 years older than me. And so his music is more my brother's music. They're mm-hmm. about the same age, but I love the Beatles too. And at some point I want to like, you know, use the lyrics to like inspire me to do art or something, but I just love the Beatles because of him too. Yeah, I loved them before, the- but I love them even more now. I know this is really wrong, but if somebody says to me that they don't like the Beatles, my instant and I cannot <laughs> shake it off reaction is what the hell is wrong with you? Like. <laughs> There's something deeply, deeply awry. I know it's wrong. If you ask people like Rolling Stones or Beatles and people would say Rolling Stones, you'd be like, later. <laughs> I'm like, well, they're good too, but no. Well, talking about being a late bloomer, see, because I was so obsessed with the Beatles that um, my period was in the 80s. You know, you know that period of time when there was music you weren't even listening to, but it was so much around you that you can sing it and you know every yeah. lyric and you're like, how come I know the lyrics of that song? Because I never right. voluntarily listened to it. A lot of those songs have taken on special meanings for me, even though at the time I thought I don't like it, I would never listen to that. But now it'll come on in a shop or when you're, you know, pushing the supermarket trolley and you get flooded with these feelings and it's enormous. Yeah, totally. I liked the Smiths. They were so melancholy when I... <laughs> I heard, so, I heard. I, I will turn them on if I'm having a depressive phase and just like Morrissey all the way up. He's an, a terrible man though. I think I've been reading about him and he's like really right-wing and like really... I didn't know that. He's that terrible. What? Okay, yeah. erase that. Let's pretend I didn't say that. But no, he's, he's, a, <laughs> he's obnoxious and he's become quite demented. And maybe he's mentally unwell. I mean, I should, I, this is so inappropriate, but honestly, I think. Um, <laughs> he was very depressive and over the top way back when. Yeah. So. And maybe people thought that it was some sort of an act, but no, not so. Oh gosh, podcaster of the year here, making a profound apology for the ableist slurs completely inappropriate for me to call someone demented and call into question their mental health or not as the case may be Morrissey please do not come after me with a lawsuit for slander because I don't have anything so that would be throwing good money after nothing Um, but I am profoundly sorry and I'm going to quickly change gears and think about The fact that Sharon referred to having lost some dogs recently and obviously this would have added to the really challenging situation she's in. So I asked her about it. When I first moved to New York, I had two dogs that I moved with Mm -hmm. and um, they were both you know, middle-aged dogs. I lost my eldest dog, Oliver, and he was age 20. Oh and my goodness. What he sort was of like dog? a Chihuahua Terrier mix. Okay. He had to be little. Okay. Yeah, his little guy. And then, um, oh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. And then, so then we got a dog during COVID, um, named Larry, who is like love. And we, we had a second dog named Scylla who, um, she died at 18, like three months after my boyfriend passed away. Oh God. So that was super hard too. So when I moved, um, Larry was, they all are rescues Mm -hmm. and, um, Larry was a little rough around the edges. And because my boyfriend had been ill so much, he was, Larry was my boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was alone a lot, didn't socialize him a lot and stuff like that. Um, anyways, when I, I took him with me here and I'm living with my mom right now. And um, he basically, and he wasn't like a biter. He was, he wasn't, but he came in the house and she was so scared and she's elderly. Um, oh. He bit her like day two on the ankle. Mm-hmm. And then I hired like 48,000 trainers and did all this stuff. And 
just the tension, I guess, of the house was so much yeah. for him that then he um he did it again and uh she fell down. She's oh. fine, but she was mm-hmm. scared to death of him. He was at a really, really amazing um shelter in New York that was out in the country. And you know, when they say that we're gonna take your dog to the, <laughs> the horse farm, he literally yeah, yeah, yeah. is living on a horse farm. And uh, um, you know, they took him back, but I had to put him on an airplane and say goodbye. And it was just another horrible thing. So it's been a few months. He hasn't been adopted yet. Oh my love. I have to say, like I, I'm just gonna show you this oh. baby girl. This is Nix. She turned our world upside down because she too is a COVID puppy. So she was not uh, appropriately socialised. She has quite awful separation anxiety. She always finds something of mine to destroy whenever I leave the house. And she's the sweetest little That was mine. If I wouldn't have had to, like, this was the most, this was a good decision for both of us because I needed to, I couldn't stay in New York without him. I'm Mm. from California. Mm. Um, My mom is in her eighties and my mom, I've never lived in this home. I haven't lived with my mom since I was like 21. Oh my God. You you and I have so many parallels because I moved in with my dad having not lived with him from being 17 when I was 38 and I'd broken up with my partner and I was pregnant and I had nowhere oh to go. I'd moved. I'd moved from Australia to Greece to be with uh, my fiance. Right. And within a week of being there, I realised he was. He hadn't hadn't rep, um, represented himself to be the person that he actually right. was. Didn't have the beliefs that he told me he had. Like, but anyway, and. Um, and I had taken my cats. I had two cats at the time, and I'd flown them from Australia to Greece. And then also having to bring the cats back and they had to spend three months with my brother in Athens and they had to spend a hundred days in quarantine. It was just, it was so overwhelmingly a lot um, that I actually went into labor visiting the cats in quarantine and gave birth to the child. And then they got out of quarantine about, I don't know, three weeks later, but it was just it was just so much. And and the responsibility that I felt towards my critters was just, yes. uh, it, it, I, I find it very hard to delineate between relationships with animals and relationships with people. And so I understand how hard it oh. would be to let Larry go. I talked to the trainers. I called the trainer there. Like I signed a thing saying, you know, if, if I ever had to rehome him, you know, I would take him there. And when I called, I know that trainer and I love them. And I just sobbed. Like I tried everything. And and if I would have been on my own, I would have kept him in a second. And so putting him in a crate and sending him back to where I came from was so hard. It's so hard, so, I know. Like, but you know what? You gave him the best life you could give him while you Yeah, and they've sent me. I mean, I'm still the annoying person that's in touch. <laughs> so <laughs> um, they've sent me videos of him playing with dogs they call. Like, they're all cute little boy dogs, and they call them the Bad Boys Club. <laughs> and they've all had a biting incident, and he's, like, running and having fun. And he really does live in, you know, in a horse, uh, yeah, like, horse stables or whatever area. Area and I, he'll get adopted at some point. But the guilt that I've had from knowing that they follow me and that I wanted, wanted to be a good dog mom. Well, the thing is that it's very easy for people to make judgments about things that they don't understand. But anybody who understands what uh, that situation has been and uh, look, I've with baby girl, she um, she's not a natural jumper, but my other dog, who's a schnoodle, he jumps on people, although I don't encourage it, but he's little and he, he weighs under 10 right. kilos. So it's like he's not going to knock anyone over. But she's so much bigger and more solid than him. And my mom's elderly. And I live with her. And, you know, she sort of braces herself against the wall whenever baby goes running up the hallway in case she gets bowled over, which is I mean, I can't blame her for being worried. Your dog looks like a cute little fluff ball. And mine was just like a little black, little black dog. But my mom was so petrified Mm -hmm. and she did fall the last time he took her by surprise. She was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but she was laying on the ground and I came and helped her and she mm. just was so scared that I, that was the moment that I knew like, mm. I got to do this. Yeah. And I, and I painted about it yeah. <laughs> and I posted that. So yeah. I mean, I think I deal with everything by, by painting. Yeah. Well, if it works for you and it certainly works for your audience, then I'm glad that you have it and you found that outlet and you had the relationship that you had that helped foster this because I have a very strong feeling that your relationship with your art is an extension of your relationship with your your person yes. and 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 it's beautiful like it's a beautiful thing and yeah I'm really glad you have that me too because I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been painting now if I if I didn't meet him. I wouldn't be painting now. Mm. Well, it was meant to be, Medea. Yeah. Yeah. Was. <laughs> well, that's like the thing is for me. I didn't pick up a paintbrush until I I lost my dad, and I literally started my first online art class um, about eight days after Dad died, and I'd booked into it. Like he died uh, in March. And I'd booked into it the November before, not knowing how on earth I was going to manage to do the course because dad was getting worse. And, but I was so excited and I thought, I want to make this work. It's going to, it's going to happen. I'll make it work. And then dad passed away and it was hard as it was to lose him because he was such a significant figure for me and has influenced my, he's, he's created my sanity, almost my uh, I don't know. He's almost given me license to be open and to talk and to express that him passing when he did allowed me to start painting when I did and have a full mania about it and hold back not a bit. And and I think of it as my extension of my relationship with him very much. So, yeah, onward, as they say. <laughs> I don't know why, why do we take classes when people that we love are really sick or whatever, but for some reason I like overbooked, like I was in the middle of 10,000 classes. And mm-hmm. um, one of the classes I took is one of my favorite people in the world was Deborah Stein. And we had to do a big project and, and I painted one of my boyfriend's t-shirts while he and I did a whole video about it and I talked in my video and and it's about painting I remember that um since I have my own issues too I never felt like my pulmonologist understood me Mm -hmm. and he knew my relationship with my boyfriend he had met him as well and um before I moved back I visited a couple of my doctors and a couple of his doctors and gave them like thank you notes or whatever. A couple of them, I gave my stupid puzzles. I was giving people puzzles because they didn't know how to say thank you. So I was yeah. like, it was a puzzle. <laughs> One of the nurses was like, oh, do you like puzzles? And I was like, no, I, I made the puzzle. And she was like, oh, <laughs> but I was showing people my video to really like, so you could understand me. Like maybe you don't understand maybe I've been argumentative on the outside trying to like fight, you know, for what I think is yeah. right, like how you're treating him or whatever, but watch this. It's a little dramatic, but oh, it's yeah. really an expression of how artists help me. I just want to tell you too, that uh, when I had to advocate for my dad, um, my dad had a rare autoimmune disorder. And right. so whenever we would turn up at the ER after a fall or after whatever, brought him to the ER, I would have to give them a lesson in IgG4, how it manifests, what it's doing. (laughs) You need to look and see if that's what the cause of his kidney failure is, whatever. You know, you get dismissed all the time. People don't listen to the advocate when you really know better than anybody else what's going on, probably the patient themselves, but sometimes they can't can't stress anything. So that battle it brings out something in you like, or I found it brought something out in me of like, no, you are going to listen to me because I'm telling you this. And I know that you're the doctor and I know you've done the degree and you've got all of this and that, but I'm telling you, you need to look at this. And I just, you have to, 
And I just think, I, you know, I, mean, I learned that before, before this last event, um, I was mostly the one that was there. Mm-hmm. And this time his kids, kids, his kids were often on there, but mm-hmm. like he, you know, he went to cancer and I did all the visits with him. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, no, I, no, you know, it we, we live together. Mm. Um, so I got really good at it, including getting like his, uh, you know, when he first was, he was working and it was like getting his disability form signed or mm-hmm. I helped get him his social security disability. So I knew every med, mm. everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was by the end when he was super sick and we were at a big hospital, Columbia, and it's a constant changing of the guard because they're a teaching hospital. So it was like, no, your attending isn't anything just changes. And then they would have different ideas and it would be like, no, what about this x-ray? So like in that, like even moving in with my mom now of like, she'll be like pussyfooting around about like this, the gardener didn't do this or whatever. And I'm like, get the gardener on the phone. Like (laughs) for, you know, battle axe now because of some of that stuff, but yeah, totally get it. It brings out something else in you just fierceness because you love that person. But I think it'll help me. It'll help me later in other parts of my life, I think. Well, I think it does because, I mean, I think a lack of fierceness or courage or whatever you want to call it comes from a desire. You don't want to rock the boat. You want to be accepted. You don't want to be seen to be the squeaky wheel. But you know, there's a lot of benefits in being the squeaky wheel and you can actually not just help yourself and the people you love, but uh, a broader community by being loud. And as long as your mind is always open... You know, like I'm always open to learn. Tell me, show me how I'm not right. right. But if I don't express what my view is, the door's closed automatically. I've closed yeah. the door. So I think part of me like posting really bad portraits of my brother as I'm going along and stuff like that, just because I'm, it's my process. I'm not ashamed of anything in my learning. It's uh, going through all of that stuff has really it has really helped me and changed the way I am in the world because me too. I was so me too. introverted and so shy and so worried about what other I, people. I thought. was always so worried, and now mm. I'm like, so yeah, yeah, not part yes, and don't say anything is bad because art is subjective as well. Well, that's so. right. Well, I'll call it bad, and then my cousin who is like my, my oh, she's just such a great cheerleader. She's wonderful. So I just send her photos of everything I do because it just helps me just have the view outside the, you know, the one that's in my head that can be harsh. Oh, you're an angel. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. And I really look forward to talking to you I know you'll find this really hard to believe, dear listener, but um, our goodbye, the one between Sharon and I, was a long goodbye. So I'm going to wrap us up here but I want to acknowledge with great appreciation the full Nulzi in a different form that we managed to experience through the emotional roller coaster that was this conversation. I really felt like some walls, if they had ever been present, were definitely shattered because we were able to rub soles almost instantly and... I have to say that with many of the conversations I've had around this topic, I've found the creatives I've spoken to to just be incredibly open and warm and honest and courageous with what they choose to share with me. And I think it's making this project a far richer and more valuable undertaking than it would have been if I had have tried to represent these conversations in any other form other than hearing these people's voices themselves. I'm actually really glad that this is panning out the way it is. So thank you, dear listener. Thank you so much for partaking of this conversation. I would be really grateful if you could provide some sort of feedback for me so that I can continue to work to improving what I'm doing, given I'm such a novice at this art form. Thank you for being on the show to Blue Ant, who have provided me with the tech, who have helped make this whole podcast thing possible. 
And thank you to Dallas Cosmos, who has generously donated use of his music as the theme song, but also the little music breaks. The song I'm using is called Good Goodbye, and it's from Dallas's CD, The Memory Keys. Once again, thank you to anyone and everyone who is providing some financial support to the project. Information about that is in the show notes, but you can also go to my website, sofansun.com, and find links to my Patreon and also to PayPal, where you can make just a straight donation if that's what you would like to do. There will also be information added into the show notes about Nulzi and what she's doing and also links to the particular projects she's referred to in the course of this conversation. And in terms of the next podcast episode, I think it was going to be just a really short one, just a little story about my brother. And that's because July has been dedicated to him. So I want to just put a dot underneath that dedication with a little, just a very short something. I don't think there's anything else. I think we've come to the end. So thank you so much again for listening and I'll wish you a good goodbye until next time. Bye. Where Art and Grief Meet is a Soap and Sun production produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge their continuing contribution to Australian culture.